0: It's just a bunch of witty banter. I love a quip. You a quip. We we'll both have a quip. It's just cadals. Bop bop What's up, witty banter fans, nation, banter people, all the banterers of all banter kind and banterdom?
1: You witty posse. This is witty banter episode
0: <laughs> number fifty-six. I'm one of your hosts, Chase Williams. To my left, it's the Big Bird Daddy Hunter Dorsett.
1: <laughs> big Daddy Bird Daddy. Big Hunter Big Daddy Dorsett. Bird Feeder. Big Daddy. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the show. Hunter is up here in Austin again because he's got a a, a gig tomorrow night, which yeah, is a Sunday night. I got a
1: giggity giggity gig.
0: This is your first gig as a as the lead singer of your band.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited, man. I've uh, I've really sort of taken up, or at least in my own uh, perception, I've taken up the mantle of being the uh, the leader of our, not the leader, but the lead singer of our band, and it's it's a, it's a completely different experience than just being sort of like you know the vocal harmonies and yeah, keyboard what what guy. what
0: comes with that like mentally? Because do you consider yourself like a front man? If you were like if you were to consider yourself a front man does that kind of change the way that you think about yourself on stage and stuff?
1: Yeah, so it's a little different because um, your typical frontman, you kind of imagine just being at the front in the middle with a microphone. But yeah. I'm also going to be playing a lot of keyboard and a lot of synth, and that's a pretty bulky setup. So while I think of the way that I will perform as a lead man, like just in my passion and stuff, and I think I'm going to be the one that's discussing or like reaching out to the audience and speaking with him as well, but... I kind of have to limit myself because yes. I can't just be dancing around up on stage, you know. Because I I do have other musical parts that I gotta you know perform. So, yeah, I think more in in spirit, I'm trying to be the the, the lead man. Yeah, good. Yeah, any nerves? No, man. I'm a performer. Awesome. I'm ready. Fucking to, a. I'm, I'm ready. All to, right. I'm ready to do this, man. I've been practicing a lot, and I think people are gonna enjoy it.
0: Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, so every episode we review a beer, and today's beer. Is from Amagong Brewery called Glimmerglass, and it is a spring saison. Oh yeah. Now, I guess we like just immediately gravitated gravitated towards doing a saison when we were in the beer store today, huh? Like, we just kind of wanted. I mean, do you know much about saisons? Because I'm kind of in the dark on them.
1: So again, yeah, we we don't know a whole lot. We haven't done a lot of research. But the the way that I always think of a Saison is sort of like it has a a good bit amount of like spices in it that it almost is like where in other beers it seems where it's a little bit more straightforward and you might pick up notes of things. It seems like in a Saison, those things would be really coming to the forefront. I
0: always thought of Saisons as almost like they're close in comparison to uh, like a sour they're they're not sour but they're usually like really dry and tart I would say Mm -hmm. and like almost like super fruit forward like always pretty fruity Mm -hmm. Um, so they're like pretty light and drinkable which is why I wanted to do one today Uh, so what is it how does it sort of describe itself on the back like what's going on with the nitty nitty gritty details on this beer
1: (laughs) okay I don't did we say it was glimmer glass that's the name yeah that's the name of it and it's 5.4 percent ABV all right so that's a, uh, you know, that's a little bit on the lower end of the craft scale, but that's fine. Drinkable. Yeah, we're not trying to we're not trying to reach the moon, uh, but on the back, we're trying to get as deep into the well <laughs> as we can. On the back, uh, it says it's part of the Duvel family of fine Belgian ales, and it basically discusses that it's an ale brewed with sweet orange peel and pink peppercorns.
0: Well, there's your spice. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So orange peel and peppercorn. Yeah. Have you gotten a chance to smell this one? No, my pour was awful. So, dude, it smells fucking weird. It smells weird. It smells weird. I don't know how to really. So yeah, that gives me a negative connotation there. And, and orange peel is This smells like a saison to me, but I mean I have a horrible sniffer. So, I you know. My snoot. <laughs>
0: um, I don't know, man. Orange peels are a pretty strong flavor. So, I'm interested to see what this one's going to be. Have, have you taken a sip
1: yet? Uh, I can. Huh. That's kind of in line with like the sour that you were talking about how it was, you said it reminds you of a sour. I mean, I feel like yeah, what do you think? It doesn't
0: taste nearly as strong as that smell for me. You know? (laughs) Really? And like, it's almost got
1: a yeastiness to it. Oh yeah, it does say that. It even has pouring directions on the back. I think we fucked those up because we both had awful pours. I had a horrible, horrible one. It says, pour slowly so as not to disturb the yeast sediment. Oh. But with enough vigor... To create a luxurious head and release the rich bouquet.
0: Well, I normally have enough vigor to release a good head, so... <laughs> I got that one locked down.
1: We got hella vigor. Well,
0: look, let's just give quick first impressions, because I think this one's kind of catching up, catching us off guard. Yeah, you know, and, we-
1: and I th- it's going to be a beer that we're going to need to sit, sit on for a while before yeah. we're really talking about it.
0: We started off with it warm, um, which is, I think these usually are kind of better when they are a bit warmer, so we're, we'll be getting the full ex- experience pretty quick. It's... Decently filtered. It's extremely like carbonated. Yeah,
1: it. Yeah, a lot of bubbles. It's pretty cloudy. You can see some of that sediment floating around from, I guess, the yeast. Um, it is extremely yeasty. I must have disturbed it from the pour. Really <laughs> Too much vigor. <laughs> Too much vigor, man. Okay, well
0: then let's go ahead and bust into the news segment, man. Are you, uh, you? Bust it open. You ready for it? Oh yeah. All right, let's do it. This is Woody Banter.
1: <laughs> All
0: right, man. So I got four news items. And Yay. as usual, you know, the first ones are kind of like smaller chunks. We really start, we would run in, you know, we got to get the wheels greased right now. Yeah? Let's do it. So this first one comes from Reuters by Dustin Volz. And the Love title is Reddit change sparks concerns about U.S. government spying.
1: Ooh, that sounds spicy.
0: So I'm going to read a little bit from it. It says, digital privacy advocates and users of Reddit expressed their alarm on Friday over a change in the forum's transparency report that suggested it may have been asked to give customer data to FBI investigators under a secretive government authority. Hmm. The annual report lists a variety of requests the site has received for information on users and for removal of content. On Thursday, Reddit deleted a paragraph known as a quote-unquote warrant canary. The paragraph said that Reddit has the paragraphs. Oh my God! The paragraph had said that Reddit had not been subject to national security letters, which are used by the FBI to conduct electronic surveillance, without the need of court uh, without the need for court approval or quote any other classified request for information end quote. So it kind of sounds like this paragraph got deleted and set off a bunch of uh, Reddit users. They took notice, and it, it seems like the FBI is sort of maybe started digging in to what's going on on the
1: website. Did did you explain why it got deleted or what this canary that they, that they quoted, like what was the content that was worth deleting? Was it like a censorship kind of thing or is it like... It doesn't seem that way. It just
0: seems like this, this paragraph called um, the warrant canary was removed, which essentially means that... So let's read what the the paragraph is again. It says, The paragraph had said that Reddit had not been subject to national security letters, which are used by the FBI to conduct electronic surveillance without the need for court approval or, quote, any other classified request for user information, end quote.
1: This sounds like there's sort of like, yeah, like the liabilities of the of Reddit and they have all of this stuff that and they took out a paragraph. Yeah. And the people are like, oh, OK, that's shady. Right. Exactly. So, so it okay.
0: seems that with that paragraph gone, it means that um, Reddit is subject to national security letters. Wow. And okay. it's just interesting because Reddit is like a global website. Yeah. You know? It and seems
1: s- pretty transparent. Right. Yeah.
0: And they're also Reddit is full of people who are always about the privacy of the internet, about mm-hmm. you know keeping it as clean and pristine as possible. Um, I think that's kind of why I brought the the article to the table is like they're kind of the ones who try to hold a bastion of like keeping the internet the wild west that it once was. Yeah. Um, but we're kind of watching the internet slowly get get the law in there, you know, and, Yeah, and get not,
1: enveloped by the government.
0: Exactly. I mean, just. Any any thoughts or pause to that? Because
1: I wish I was on Reddit more so I could really gauge because I've gotten I, I know so many people that use it. I know it's like considered the front page of the internet. Uh, it's a, good tagline, and it's, a yeah. it's a very big it's a very big cultural trend. Um but I'm not on it very often. I can see this being a big deal, or I could see it also just being an overreaction. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? It so, is the internet. Yeah, 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 and people get pissed off about dumb things. So I think it depends on. I would maybe have to go and read like what specifically they took out of uh, like the wording. Yeah. Because it, what's really crazy about liabilities and le- legality is that every single word actually does count, and oh, that totally. you can say the same sentence and change one word or even it's just like a an and or the or something. And the way that it's, that you read it, it completely changes how people can act on it. And so, you know, if they take out an entire paragraph, it is sort of an alarming thing. I mean, from a legal standpoint, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right. This next, uh, article kind of goes in line with what our show normally keeps up with, and that is the sale of Tesla cars.
1: Oh, yeah. Nice. So this comes
0: from Quartz. It's by a guy named Michael Corin, and the title is, Pre-sale of Tesla's Model 3 topped first-year projections in less than 24 hours.
1: Yeah, that didn't surprise me. So I'm just gonna
0: read a couple, par- like a paragraph or two from this. It says orders for the Model Three during the launch of Tesla's newest car have blown the projections away. In fact, no one even came close. Before Elon Musk left the stage of Tesla's design, give me the fucking news, dude. Design studio in California on Thursday night, the company's CEO said that 115,000 customers had made $1,000 deposits to buy the Model Three once it's ready for delivery, probably by the end of 2017. By the next afternoon, the number of reservations had reached 232,000, exceeding ana- analysis expectations for the entire year. The deposits are refundable, but presuming they turn into sales, Tesla can look forward to at least $8.1 billion in revenue on its first <laughs> mass market vehicle.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And then it shows a tweet from Elon Musk where he says, definitely going to need to rethink
1: production planning. Wow. Um, it's got to be exciting, though, you know. Yeah,
0: and it just it notes that, Lines formed around the blocks at dealerships, around the world, and money rolled in online. Customers gave Tesla what is effectively a 232000000 million interest-free loan to fund its goal of selling 500,000 new Model 3s by the end of the decade, even as people wait years to receive them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's fucking crazy to me that people people believe in Tesla so much that they are willing to line up for hours and place a deposit down on a car that they had
1: never even seen yet or like driven probably yeah yeah it's pretty wild i mean tesla has draw tesla has people that are become it's like it seems like a fun thing for early adopter mindsets to just like yep let's do this this thing's like this seems like it's going to be the next big thing right you know
0: i guess a part of tesla's just shininess and its name just stems from i guess elon musk you know yeah. largely and the fact that like his promise of delivering these electric vehicles that are purely electric, where you can drive them across the country now, is being delivered upon mm-hmm. in like every facet of the mission. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's just crazy to see a company that has so much good. I don't know if Goodwill is the right term for it, but just mm-hmm. there's such an aura about them that is positive that people are willing to just throw money at
1: them. Yeah. I mean, in business terms, that is Goodwill. Goodwill is just how much your name and your brand is actually you can cash in on that and that's basically what they're doing especially with Elon Musk's status as sort of like you know the the this is it Steve? yeah Steve Jobs of you know right now the market uh the car market but i mean he's going to be branching into other things like batteries and yeah. he's trying to do all the all the satellite stuff so i think people just think that he is sort of like the next reckoner that's going to be really disrupting lots of different markets, and I, I, I think that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic to watch. I it, It's it,
1: a good-looking car, too, man. Oh, it's only $35,000. Everything about
0: those cars are pretty sick. It's only, I,
1: you, know, two, you get 215 miles per charge, which if you're just not coming much. from... It's not much, but I mean, if, if it's just a daily thing, you'll have way more than you need. But you know, they have you these charge stations
0: that are now um, charted across the country in such a way that you could drive from one side of the country to the other. On right. just their charge stations, yeah,
1: and I'm sure that they'll have like the ability for you to to look up where the nearest charge stations are, so that it makes it easier on you and stuff. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, so I mean, if you're just going to a job, that you're just commuting, and you can go back home and recharge your car every day, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Man, yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: I mean, I think it's I think we've kind of become fans of Tesla. You know, mm-hmm. like we yeah. we like watching what they do. I know that we're both kind of in a state where. Soon enough, we're going to be saving probably for our first big car purchases. Are Mm -hmm. you considering, you know, maybe going with with them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've considered this Model 3. I mean, considering what you're getting for $35,000 and just the... It seems as though they really take care of their customers even after you've already bought the car as well. Yeah. And that's a big thing. Um, But I have been a little bit more, you know, tried to be a little bit more conscious about my consumption. And I think that this car is something that sort of mass markets can dive into with that sort of mindset where they're trying to be conscious about what they're consuming. And if, if they, if they can make a better impact on the environment, then let's do it. You know, I guess my
0: question would be though, ultimately, even if you are not paying for gas to charge your car. Largely natural gas and coal is what's used to make the energy that turns into electricity that's going to be charging your car. So, like, even though all of these people are going to be buying into Tesla and not be going to gas stations, Mm -hmm. does it actually, like, relieve much of the energy burden on just actual, like, energy production? Yeah. And you may not have the answer to that, but that's just something that I think about. I did an
1: interesting case study on the Toyota Prius and, uh... It basically there was a lot of people that were saying that the batteries, the amount of like mining and stuff that they have to do to be able to create like the ionized batteries and stuff that they have, yeah. is actually worse for the environment than driving around like a Hummer H three. We can't fucking you know? win, can we? Yeah, it's always it's always one step forward, two steps back, man. It's but but yeah, I mean, you would think that that would sort of be in the mindset, but. I don't know. They might just be taking advantage of people's goodwill. You know, I mean, who knows? But uh, I think it's definitely an interesting quest- question to pose. And I think people should do research on that. I mean, are we really making a difference in the in the environment if we're still using the same methodologies to just circumvent this gas thing? Well, I mean, know? I think I
0: mean, if anything, the people who are buying them are probably doing it out of a position like yourself where it's they do want to make a difference. And if you've gotten people to sort of make that switch in their own heads, then mm-hmm. you've kind of already done something to help. And if it's just a larger infrastructure that ends up having to change, um, then maybe these people who are now thinking about needing that to be changed will actually help really kind of push it even further and, right. and harder, you know? It, it can only have good things and come it, from it, I suppose. It seems
1: interesting, too, because, like, I remember when electric cars and, you know, environmentally conscious cars first started coming onto the scene, and they're all, like, crappy-looking. They're these, like, little small... I mean, you mentioned little, the Prius.
0: The thing is... Yeah,
1: And but, like, that was... I remember, I remember specifically, like, a few... Um, like there was a whole time period where like actors and people in Hollywood would be investing in those and it was kind of like this humble brag yeah. you know where they were showing that but oh, now, I just drive a Prius yeah but now it's almost the opposite where you have you have a car that's actually a good looking car this is yeah. a nice looking car and the normal person can get this and it's quick so it's not as much of a humble brag as it is like I, it's a brag brag it's now. a brag brag now yeah i mean i want to make a <laughs> welcome to brag brags <laughs> witty bander brag brags <laughs> uh but yeah i mean people can finally like feel like they're they can sort of have their cake and eat it too yeah you totally know? it's it's cool
0: i enjoy it all right this next news story i want to talk a little bit about batman versus superman mm. because you and i were fans of the man of steel yeah. And I think we were, some, we were looking forward to this Batman vs. Superman movie. And as the trailers kind of dropped, I more and more was like, in my head, like, this movie's going to suck, <laughs> but I'll see it anyway, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess you didn't get to see it? I haven't seen it yet. Okay. So let's read the news story real either.
0: quick. This comes from uh, Variety.com, for, uh, from a writer named Dave McNary. And it says, Batman vs. Superman climbs to $209 million in first week in U.S., um, and it says, basically, it's the 10th highest first week total in the U.S. box office. So it's done... It's wow. not like this... It, for the it, year? For, of all time. Oh, wow. 10th highest first week total in the U.S. box office.
1: It's pretty interesting. Yeah, okay.
0: So it says that... Um, Warner Brothers comic book tentpole Batman v Superman took in $7.7 million additionally on Thursday and is expected to dominate this weekend again with $66 million. Um, But that would actually represent a 60% drop from its $166 million debut. Then it says, Despite a lack of critical support, audiences have continued to support the Ben Affleck Henry Cavill vehicle. Online ticketing service Fandango reported that Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice is seeing robust repeat ticket purchases for the superhero thriller 30% higher than a typical blockbuster.
1: Wow, so people are are seeing it multiple times.
0: That's what it sounds like. Hmm. I wanted to talk about this lack of critical support because I don't know if you had your fingers in the internet. I saw the
1: sad Ben Affleck. Yeah, Yeah, that was hilarious. It
0: became like a cultural (laughs) meme that this was the shittiest movie ever made. (laughs)
1: Got like, people Stupid internet,
0: man. Like people jumped down this movie's throat. One of the hardest I've ever seen people jump down it before. it's and So unnecessary. I've got to admit, the trailers and stuff weren't really helping it in mm-hmm. terms of like this movie might be bad, but it almost seemed like everybody just wanted this movie to suck. Yeah, and that's such a weird mindset to me.
1: Yeah, and, and plus, like, I think people were like lost by the sense of sort of them trying to make actual realistic setups in a superhero movie. Like I was sitting in I was sitting in line about to get some pizza and there were these two ladies that were sitting in front of me and I overheard that they were talking about this movie. Yeah. And the lady that was in front was like, I mean, but they're both superheroes. So, yeah. like why are they fighting? <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, it sets up pretty clearly, <laughs> even in the trailers, why they're fighting, why there's this big dispute. Like, I understand it. Why doesn't the general public, like, get along b- alongside this? It just seems weird that Marvel can sort of just, like, throw a bunch of people together and... and Yes, they're weaving it in and out of their movies, but they're they're still just throwing a bunch of people together. But let's talk
0: about that difference, you know, it's like when Marvel does it, people almost don't really need the explanations. They just want to go have fun and see it. And then like one, you know, DC's trying to get in the game as well because they mm-hmm. see the success of Marvel. And it's almost like this fanboy witch hunt mentality where it's just like fuck everything that Zack Snyder does and fuck everything that this movie wants to be. It might you be know? your
1: typical fast follower Hatred where people find that since they weren't the first people to come out and like plan all this stuff, where you're having sort of like the Avengers thing go down in the DC universe, Mm -hmm. since they were, since it seems as though they're being a fast follower in that sense, that other people are like, well, look at them just copying Marvel and being, you know, lame. Like they deserve to not, you know, be able to make a good movie. Uh, But at the same time, yeah, I think. There is a a, a sort of natural strain that happens when you try to over-complicate or uh, over-explain superhero movies. I mean, I think that was what was cool about maybe just like the the Dark Knight series of Batman, was that they were sort of isolated to themselves. And so it made sense that from beginning to end that there was this like increased amount of explanation. But... um, But I don't know. I mean, I guess it it seems like when you have these different movies like Man of Steel and, you know, the Batman and they're bringing in Aquaman and Wonder Woman. But now they're trying to like literally really explain what's going on in the world as opposed to just like taking for granted that these people all just have superpowers and they got to do something. Yeah. It seems as though it just it's a conflict of interest for people and they don't know how to deal with it.
0: What do you if you were Ben Affleck? And you just did this movie mm-hmm. and it's fucking, it's bringing in the money. I'd be like, it's probably going to kill outside of the U S but everyone culturally in, in the moment of pop culture, is was just like when sad Affleck becomes the, the weekly meme and everyone's uh-huh. just like, you fucking suck. Yeah. Like, cause when you do a superhero movie, you understand that a lot of who you're kind of responsible to, or like who you have to really. Reconcile who you're doing this for is the fans of these right of yeah. these superheroes, and mm-hmm. like I would imagine that these actors are are looking at the material and they're looking at what really drives people to these characters, and they want to do a good job. I mean, like obviously right, everyone yeah. wants to do a good job, and then everyone on the internet is just like, "Hey, you fucking suck." Yeah. But on the other hand. It the paint like it's making a ton of money. It looks like in this article is saying that people are rebuying tickets, so it's almost right. like the act the fans are seeing it again. Yeah, the people
1: that give it a chance are are enjoying it.
0: It just seems like you would have a ton of conflicting things. Critics hate it. People are rebuying the tickets, mm-hmm. uh, but people are also saying that you suck more than anything. Yeah, you
1: know, I think that's just sort of the the hassle of being an actor, specifically for a superhero role, where there is so much like lore and people's expectations behind it because as as a creative, you know, like these these actors are artists and stuff and whenever they're thinking about their roles, they want to be able to provide that sense of you know, the lore and, and be able to be able to really give the people what they want, but they also want to make something different and unexpected. They don't want it to be this just fan service thing necessarily. And that's they kind want of, it to be an, a piece of artwork. And that's know? kind of
0: been my whole shtick with, like, even with Game of Thrones, right? Where I'm almost happier that it's not... You, I understand not staying with the source material because why would I want to see the same thing twice? Mm-hmm. You know, and right. and like you, if someone else is going to do their interpretation of a property or a universe, don't you kind of want to, to see how they interpret it? You know, like why would you want to see the same thing repeated over and over? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think what Game of Thrones did was actually pretty brilliant, and I don't know if it was by design, but it started out at least in the first season, it was almost word for word, like a lot of the script was was read straight out of the book. Yeah. But it makes sense that they have changed it since then and that they're not necessarily following the storyline in what they're revealing or even just the plot points because then you have people that have read the book that are still being surprised, you know? And, and I understand people getting mad and being like, well, this isn't as good as the book, which usually it's not but at least at least for the people that are willing to have read the book and watched the show they can still look forward to that sort of anticipation of not knowing what the next thing is going to be
0: yeah and when you talk about like the script the people who wrote the script you you do realize that just by virtue of it being in a different medium things are going to it it's just going to take on a different feeling of its own and you have to start writing towards the strengths of The show like of of itself as an entity, like you have to do what's best for your story. And though your story is started as the story of something else that had been told, Mm -hmm. you realize that by virtue of it being, you know, the, the media or the messages in the medium, the second it's a different medium, it fundamentally changes it and you have Mm -hmm. to service your own story first or else it's going to be garbage, you know?
1: But I mean, if I was Ben Affleck, I think uh, it just it would just put another notch in my belt regarding cynicism, <laughs> you know, towards how people are so finicky and fickle, and like it's almost like you can never really win, you know, yeah. and that that kind of sucks. You plan on seeing the movies? I would like to. That Me was too. that was one of the only ones that I really put a, put a pen in, and I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that one
0: for sure. I think so. I saw Deadpool.
1: You really liked that one,
0: right? It was a good movie. Yeah. And then I'm going to see, I would like to see Batman versus Superman. And I want to see Suicide Squad just to see how it shakes out. But yeah. I think past those movies, I really don't think I'm going to be watching superhero movies anytime soon. Like mm-hmm. I am, I have gotten so checked out on superheroes from even just like a conceptual standpoint where I'm like right. this. I, I am starting to get to the point where I, like, I think superheroes are some of the most uninteresting I just don't understand why you would want to spend your time like reading about them. Like I don't yeah. I don't know. And that's my own personal bias, but that's just how I'm sort of getting with them. Yeah, I understand. Okay, so this last piece of news comes from GameSpot um, by Eddie McCook. Or McCook? <laughs> I love that guy. Yeah, he's a cool guy. He says and the title is Sony Computer Entertainment changes its name today. And by today he means April 1st. And it reads, Sony Computer Entertainment and Sony Network Entertainment are no more, at least in name. The two companies have folded into Sony Interactive Entertainment, SIE, a new company that is headquartered in San Mateo, California, with other offices in Tokyo and London. This change, which was announced in January, became effective today, April 1st. Um, And this is no April Fool's gag. Uh, PlayStation executive Andrew Howell says bringing the companies companies today, I think he meant to say together, will help SIE become an even stronger entity with a clear objective to further accelerate the the growth of the PlayStation business. So if you're unaware, what how Sony's PlayStation business uh, shaked out was like you had SCEA, which which was Sony Computer Entertainment America, and then you had SCEE, which was Sony Computer Entertainment Europe, and there was like um, Japan as well. You had a few other of those. Skedge. Skedge. (laughs) They are basically doing away with that company structure and combining into this SIE, Sony Interactive uh, Entertainment. So
1: it seems like an international effort or something.
0: Yeah, it's it looks like Sony as a company is starting to focus more on their PlayStation division mm. because I, and I don't know if this is correct. I think it might be like the most lucrative side of their business at this point.
1: Yeah. It's definitely gotta be a big part of it.
0: And you look at the resources they've pour- poured into it with things like, um, PlayStation VR. I mean, that's probably like five years now of R and D, which yeah. is just fucking sunk cost money yeah. into research. And they're, they're doing it. They're launching this thing, you know? And to me, just this restructuring is kind of historic, you know, like Sony, um, SCEA and all that have, have been a staple since the, the PlayStation was formed. Mm -hmm. And then when you see this change, it just kind of signifies a change in strategy, like a change in organization. Um, and it's interesting that they are indeed like kind of, recognizing how valuable PlayStation is in their portfolio and saying, you know, like we got to really Yeah. We got to play to this.
1: Well, I wonder how much of that because okay, when you think of Sony as a company and what products they put out, what is the other thing outside of PlayStation and stuff that you think of? Maybe t- TVs or cameras? See, okay, so that's what I was going to say is I think most people would say TVs. And I don't know if you've heard this and I don't have any sort of specific site, but I know that this was sort of general knowledge at one point that it became aware. People became aware that there was this almost cartel between TV makers, and that they were just like overpricing, just for the sake of being able to cash out extra profits. Yeah, and so they're that,
0: almost monopolizing without having monopoly. Yeah, and so they, they
1: that sort of came to the forefront, and people started realizing that. And I think that there was like actions that were made to basically make these TV creators, these TV manufacturers. Uh, manufacturers Make their their prices go down, and so I, I think that the car, cartel was sort of beat with a big stick, yeah. you know, Theo Roosevelt style. <laughs> Thanks, and so Theo. now now TVs are cheaper than ever, and you wonder you wonder how much Sony picking up on their video game thing is because there is this, you know, I mean they're they're growing. Uh, the games market is going to continue to grow, and it's not going to stop. And I think that they can recognize that. But you also wonder, I mean, how much of it is due to the other. Parts of their business just not being as lucrative because well, of that's things the like thing this. Is, it's like
0: uh, I think largely, I, I think Sony as a whole, not until maybe recently, was is profitable. Like they had been losing money like crazy because their other businesses have been suffering so much. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like, and so, like PlayStation's holding up, pulling the Germany of the EU kind of role where they're right. holding up everything with their with their Atlas shoulders. But
0: yeah, I mean. When you And when you say that, it, that the industry is growing year over year, it is at pretty incredible rates. Yeah. You know, like as many as 10% growth, 5%, 6% growth year over year. Yeah, it's a lot. But I don't think that's sustainable. I think right, a lot right, of right. people see that momentum and they're like, especially just fans of the gaming industry, they kind of point to that as almost validation of their hobby. And they're like, look how much it's growing. Like we are bigger than movies. We're bigger than music. Like you are... But at some point in time, that's going to slow down unless we continue to change things. And this is a conversation that's completely different where that's when you have to say, like, how do we bring more people in? Mm -hmm. Because if you only play to an audience who only likes playing with a standard gamepad controller and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, like you're going to just create, you're going to solidify what gaming is and then it'll never grow past that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it'll, and
1: it's also, I mean, we've had past uh, articles and stuff that we've read about the same thing happening over on Microsoft side, where weren't they at one point like sort of planning on not even doing an Xbox, and then they realized that like, oh wait, this gaming is like 20% of our freaking company, and so it's like, it's almost like whenever whenever they first got into the video game part of Microsoft... Uh, whenever they first started really diving into that, that they didn't realize that it was going to be as big of a deal as it, it actually ended up being. And it taken up takes up a lot more of their portfolio than maybe they were even really yeah, intending it Yeah, you definitely see them
0: starting to swing some of their focus. And I mean, and I've heard interviews where actually Xbox Live, Xbox Live Arcade, was one of the first digital distribution like app services ever. That yeah. was before App Store on iPhone. It Like there have actually been some pretty... Um, like I don't want to say historic, but just th- things that have changed the landscape of how we consume digital products started in Xbox, you yeah. know. And so yeah, there is something to be said about that as well.
1: It's just cool too that we got to be the people to experience that. That yeah. we grew up in the time where we 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 started from the basically, you know, when we were growing up, that's when 3D first came out with Nintendo, and now we're getting all the way through VR. And everything in between has just been so – there's been a lot of growth, man. It's, it's been really interesting. When you
0: look at a video game that was made 20 years ago and compare it to what we have now, mm-hmm. the the difference is just starkingly – it's crazy.
1: It, it would be so fun to go back to yourself 20 years ago and be like, look what we're going to have. And be like, whoa.
0: You probably wouldn't be able to <laughs> fucking fathom it. Yeah, I know. It's like, crazy. Look at all these systems
1: we have. <laughs> all these okay.
0: Well, that's been the news, man. So let's take a quick break. And
1: when we come back, we'll talk about the beer. Alright, sounds good. Bit up bip up.
0: up
1: This is Witty Banter. Don't forget to follow us at Witty Banter Show on Twitter and shoot an email over to witty at gmail.com.
0: Alright, we're back. Bit a bit. Dropped a freaking dunk in the toilet and Oh, thanks for Blasting
1: that to the world, Chase. We I to, appreciate I thought, that. Like we I sure to, thought that was appropriate. <laughs> it was the
0: elephant <laughs> in the room, man. Usually halftime... It was is, your elephant. Hey, it
1: wasn't mine. Usually
0: elephant. halftime, you know, you take a quick break, you gather yourself, you don't go... You drop the
1: dunk. Sorry, guys. Chase is uh, is an, Im- an immortal that doesn't dump.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I'm glad you understand that. All right, look. We've had some time with the beer. It's not dunkiness at all. How do you feel about it?
1: So... I'm actually sort of okay with. <laughs> it's become a habit to where we haven't gotten these as cold, I guess, as normal as normally. Yeah. Uh, but I think this one is okay with that. I sure. think um, the warm, the warm uh, temperature of it is okay. And so whenever I drink it, I, I think it has like a surprising like sourness to it. I mean, it's not like you don't sound too it's, confident. Well, in that it's one. not sour, but it's it, there's just a little bit of like a. Tart. Tart kick, I guess, in it, and I like it. Um I think that it hangs around maybe in your mouth a little bit for longer especially than maybe for, else Especially
0: expecting. for a five percent or five point four percent beer.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have a whole lot of like alcoholic, you know, feel for it, but I think that this has a subtle it has a complexity, but I'm not like, you know, overwhelmed by the complexity. I think it's a good beer, man. I am I'm, I'm start I'm jiving with it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, on the bottle it talks about that peppercorn, and I think there is a spice to this beer. Mm-hmm. Um, the smell is kind of like, I almost want to say floral in nature, it's kind of got that, it does have a bit of fruit to it, you know, maybe like mm-hmm. pear or apple, but I think there is a floralness to it as well. I agree, I just
1: smelled it, it's, yeah.
0: But the taste for me is largely bready, it does taste very bready from that yeast, but um, and I think those floral notes are there, but what I think I'm struggling with is that that spiciness and the breadiness, I think, is covering up most of the complexity that
1: mm-hmm. it was
0: maybe going for. Okay. And it, it ends up just kind of dominating what I taste. Well, don't you think
1: of... the spiciness could is a part of the
0: complexity? I guess I... It is, but when you have something that's complex, you want these flavors that are balanced and playing off of each other, and I mm-hmm. feel like this one is just taking up way too much of the stage. Okay. You know? Okay. I understand. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, but you know it is a kind of a complex beer, so it's. I guess I feel pretty good about it so yeah, far. Yeah, you're know. you enjoying it a little
1: bit. So this is. I just wanted to say, okay, this is the day after. Say April, it. This is the day after April Fools. Yeah. You want to go ahead and blast the uh, the April Fools uh, jokes that that went on? I know. Yeah, I it had felt a, like they were these mind-boggling April Fools. jokes. Well, I think but. it's always fun though, because April Fools, you have a chance to where people can like. If somebody gets you on April Fool's, I think you have to just be like, ah, you got, you me. know, yeah, like, like on other fuck. days you might be pissed. But on this day, you got to kind of understand. Yeah. I woke up, I woke up on April Fool's and uh, sort of the leader of our band, Blake, he sort of texted the the group and we had a gig this Sunday and he was like, hey guys, it looks like we can't have a gig anymore. Our, the guy's closing down his his shop for the weekend. And uh, I was canceled. pretty, yeah, I was pretty bummed. I didn't even know like if I was going to, I mean, I was still planning on coming to Austin, but I was pretty pissed yeah, and he was... got me. So, uh, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to pay, it, pay forward. it forward. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to pay it forward. So then uh, I'm going to throw it over to you.
0: Yeah. You, well, you texted me and you're like, dude, my fucking gig or no, no, no. You said you're like my, my engine blew a gasket. You're like, my, You basically said my car broke down and I can't come to Austin. And then like, immediately when I read that, I was like, well, that's the whole fucking weekend's gone now. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, you have a show this weekend. Are you going to get like a rental car? And then yeah. you're like, hey, April Fool's motherfucker.
1: <laughs> that's like one of my favorite things about April Fool's is like acting like them believing what you said makes them a huge Makes asshole. them the dumbass, yeah. <laughs> you're like, happy april fools you idiot
0: <laughs> and i actually ended up paying it forward and i got darien on april fools yes. and something that she had said she was like it's almost it's almost like the best april fools jokes are the ones that you pull on the people who trust you the most yeah yeah you know? absolutely Cause yeah because they won't like question it
1: mm-hmm. you got to be on your guard but the people that you trust you kind of got to let down the guard a little bit totally totally
0: all right uh let's go ahead and bounce on over to a segment i think we're gonna do kind of a witty banter favorite and bust out a top three today My number three is definitely Goku's hair. I think my number two has got to be Hyper Beam. My number one is without a doubt, Woody Woody Banter. banter. Top Thrizzle. And you're coming with the top three topic today, so what's what's it going to be, man?
1: Okay, so I think I was inspired by maybe a little bit of a a conversation or or piece that we had uh, yesterday. And so my top three that I think that we should try and assert here is top three comedic people. Oh God! People, top three comedians. Yeah. So, I, and the way I want to put it is, people that produce comedic content. I don't think you have to be a stand-up comic to be on this. But I mean, of course, those are going to be forefront, and you know what you think of. I
0: mean, what are the parameters here? Are we talking about our favorite, like comedians people, that yeah. had an influence on us, or maybe just ones that we can say I may not listen to them, but I think they're funny?
1: Like, let's just do our top three most enjoy people that we most enjoy in the realm of comedy. Oh wow. Okay, I can do. I can. I can dig with. Dig okay, back. so I. I think in normal fashion, we usually go from like a a pyramidal scheme where we go three, two, one. Yeah, and then we bounce back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to go first or? I can go first. Please do. Yeah. Uh, so I'll try and start with number three. I think number three for me, might be, Jerry Seinfeld, dude. Oh,
0: good one. Okay. I
1: think that. I think that just the. Well, he actually is a very influential role in comedy. I mean, people really look up to Seinfeld. I think a lot, and uh, he's his, definitely
0: like an elder statesman of comedy. Yeah,
1: now. yeah, yeah. And he and he's sort of like a clean comic, which is always refreshing, which is cool. And uh, he he has a he's lot got of no those, crutches. He it's weird because he has a lot of those typical like. Well, what about airplane food? You know, like he has sort of he those, is that joke. Yeah, he right? kind of yeah. is, but. But for some reason, like when he has those moments, you totally vibe with it for whatever reason. His observation skills are great, and you know Seinfeld, the sitcom, was amazing, and um, it it really sort of changed, I think, the landscape of comedy on TV as well. And uh, but yeah, Jerry Seinfeld, I think I think it's a good number three for me.
0: Okay, well then I'm gonna have to kind of piggyback off what you're saying. I'm I'm happy you brought this up. Uh, my number three, and I'm f- Jason Taylor. Is that his name? Who's the guy who plays Costanza? Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander. Yeah, I'm gonna okay. say Jason Alexander. He's really good. And you could say that. Well, you know, technically, um, it's it's the guy who's the guy who fucking does curb your enthusiasm. Uh
1: oh! I can't even remember. He's the Fuck guy. He's the, Larry David. Larry David. Yeah. You could
0: say maybe Larry David is actually the one that we should be crediting for all these. A, yeah,
1: George Costanza is based off of. Yeah, but know? I
0: think George Costanza on Seinfeld is. <laughs> he might be. He's one of the funniest characters ever made. Ever. Okay. You know, okay. like that every episode has a george moment that just absolutely kills me that that character is so absurd and i think he plays that character so well and you can hear interviews about when he talks he talks about his own comedic influences and how he draws other comedians into the character mm. to make his own right so i'm going to go with uh, jason alexander okay
1: great i think that's a great great choice i can totally see that being your number 3 for sure yeah um okay so for number 2 i think i would like for number 2 I'm going to go ahead and say Louis C.K. All right, that's a great choice. I think uh, his self-deprecating humor is just so funny. But it's but it's really, it's not as much like him being like, I'm an idiot, like, I suck, as it is just like everything around me is kind of crazy and I'm just a normal guy. Yeah, you know? and it's I, like I, and self-hatred. Totally, yeah, well, and it's also sort of hatred of everything around him, too. Yeah, Like, I totally vibe with a lot of the, I guess, cynicism, but it's, it's not like hard-biting cynicism. It's just, like, kind of noticing that stuff is weird. And uh, and and I've watched his show a good bit, and the thing I like about his show is while there are a lot of really funny, like, just he shouldn't be in half the situations he's right. in the show, right? But a there's little actually, fantastical. Like, yeah, but there's a lot of actual, like, uh, good... You can actually learn some good lessons and stuff from it. He has some. There's, there's stuff a realism in par- that
0: show that's very relatable.
1: Stuff about parenting, stuff about friends, stuff about you know just society. You'll you'll kind of be like, wow, I actually had to think about this not in a comedic way, and that was that was enlightening. That was cool. So I think Louis C.K. will be my number two.
0: When I first was getting into Louis C.K., honestly, what well, like the biggest barrier of entry for me was his language. Like he does not shy away from very, very explicit words and yeah. like words that are kind of taboo. Mm-hmm. And once you kind of realize like how lewd and sick he goes and you get used to that, I feel like that's when you can really start to enjoy his comic. Cause like, there's still a couple bits he does that just make me feel absolutely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that on purpose, yeah. you know, but like he, so he, but he nails it. That's cool. a good pick. Um, My number two, I got to go with, with... And I hate how I can almost be like crucified for saying this, but I got to say Dane Cook.
1: No, yeah, no, no. Uh, it's, it's,
0: it's crazy to me what a 180 degree turn people took with Dane Cook. Uh-huh. Where for like a quick moment, everyone was like, this dude is the funniest fucking guy ever. Uh-huh. To just everyone in the world...
1: Hating his guts. Yeah, I don't know what that the was. The reason
0: why I have to, and we can talk about this, but the reason why I have to pick him for myself as, like, a comedic influence is because when you, and, so, when we were in, like, 7th grade even as early, someone had recommended Dane Cook to our good friend Cole, and by 7th and 8th grade, Cole had been getting us into Dane Cook, where our group of friends were was listening to Dane Cook's albums on repeat, all day. We Mm -hmm. had those jokes memorized and we fucking stole the shit out of those jokes (laughs) and went to our school and repeated them. And not in a sense that like, we were just like, Hey, you want to hear a joke? But it was like his personality imprinted so hard into ours that the way that even maybe today we speak and say some of our words and deliver (laughs) our own comedic timing, I think stems from Dane cook. And I think he's such a fucking goofy, funny guy. Um, that that's why I have to pick him. And, and it's weird that it's almost like accepted that that dude is for most people is like the worst comedian of all time, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, what the f-? I just don't get it. And I'm like, if you're friends with me and you think that there's a fucking contradiction here because a large part of my personality came from that dude.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I understand for sure. OK, well, cool. Dane Cook. That yeah. was like definitely going to be my honorable mention, I think he's not uh, going to be on your list. I don't think I'm gonna put him on my top five just because I think his his success was so short lived that while it was he didn't, the, he didn't have the staying power. Yeah, yeah, he didn't it was extremely influential for what it was, but but I'm I'm also thinking of somebody, yeah, like more of a long winded career that sort of lasted up. And I think I'm going to maybe try and keep it more to stand-up comedy uh, now that we've kind of gone into this because...
0: Well, well he was then, a stand-up comedian. Right,
1: yeah. No, that's what I'm saying is that I think uh, I think when you get too out of the realm, you can think of all sorts of actors who are really funny, but right. they're not really comedians and stuff. So I, I, I think I'm going to try and stick to stand-up. Okay. And then... Um, so for my number one, and this is purely because he was also very influential. He's still around today. But it's it's a it's more about his style of humor that really hits me on the funny bone. I think it's Joe Rogan, dude. Really? Yeah, Joe Rogan's stand up is like one of the. It's because it's so smart. This guy is a smart, like very intelligent, very experienced dude. But the way that he describes his humor, or the way that he goes about like laying out his humor, (laughs) is just so funny and goofy, and it's like self aware, and he's he's sort of. Recognizing that, you know, it's a stand up, so not everything is like real. Like, I'm sort of like playing off of y'all's believability here. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, I remember his first stand up that I ever saw was like basically the Bible that I like <laughs> would follow because yeah. the, some of the stuff that he laid out, like even just talking about like space, and he was like, dude, do y'all ever go up and look at space? <laughs> and I'm like, what are we doing right now? <laughs> uh, just, I guess the way that he would phrase his stuff was so funny. And I think, I think Joe Rogan is almost like every man's man that I want to be. Yeah, like, I can see that. I want I in a lot of ways I could see if I lived Joe Rogan's life that I'd be a pretty happy dude. Well, this
0: cuz there's a very there, he has a genuine sense about him yeah, yeah, that yeah. a lot very of people authentic. can identify with.
1: So, but his stand-up and his I've seen probably maybe like 3 or 4 different stand-ups of his um and all of them just nail me. So, right. I think I think I'm going to go ahead and put him in my number 1, man.
0: All right, that's that's a good choice. My number 1 I'm going to go with Dave Chappelle.
1: Oh, great, dude. Yeah, and it's not... I totally forgot about Dave Chappelle, It's
0: man. not because of, like, his show. I didn't really watch his show that much. I know his show had a lot Which of... Which was good. Yeah, had some really good stuff, but, like, his stand-up called For What It's Worth, go look it up on YouTube, For What It's Worth, full video, watch it. It is the funniest stand-up ever <laughs> of all time. It's my favorite. <laughs> like I, I truly, like, stand behind Do you know, like, the that. name of it, or is for it For What It's Worth? For What It's Worth. Yeah, For okay. What It's Worth. It is the funniest stand-up I think that's ever been ever been given. And like, okay. he does, he plays with stereotypes in ways that are so smart and so subtle mm-hmm. that you don't even realize that he's doing it mm-hmm. where a lot of like stereotypical humor and, and comedians like that. It can it can be really cheap, Yeah, you know, but and it was actually in an English class. I was, that I got into a <laughs> conversation with my professor about um, Dave Chappelle and about like he, the way he was speaking was he was playing into expectations and stuff at such a small, like, subconscious level that he he knew what people were thinking about things and was able to use that to get to his punchlines. Mm-hmm. And his punchlines were never... They never were obvious. They weren't, like, They the Dutch o- y- they or... o- Yeah, exactly. They only became obvious, like, really through the story that he told uh, and stuff yeah. like that. But no, like like, oh, my God, I want that purple stuff. You know, yeah. just all of his jokes. Like, it's everything in that stand-up is so good. So I got to go
1: with Dave Chappelle. Yeah, he was like a closet mastermind in a lot of ways. I think he's a very smart dude as well. He he had a, he's, he had has people still yearning for him to come back, man. I mean,
0: with comedy, it is the smartest people who really boil up to the top because you have to really make connections that people aren't seeing. Yeah. You know, you got to find the parallels and follow the string that really combines a lot of the subjects that you you see. And you have to have an understanding of what's going on around us to be able to point out the absurdities of it. Right, you know?
1: yeah. You just have to have really keen observation skills, you know, and and, and then be able to put those, put, put the things that you've observed and then place, like, a funny situation around it to be able to, you know, portray this to people. And it's
0: storytelling. I yeah. think storytelling is a pretty amazing art. You I know? agree. It's one that I'm not super familiar with it's maybe one that I wish I hope someday I can be good at at telling a story I think we're kind of good at maybe telling stories vocally in sort of social situations but the act of storytelling is something that's been around since we basically have communicated with each other and and comedy is no different usually some of it
1: you know how we can hone our storytelling improv D and D with Ahmed. oh no fucking shit yeah <laughs> i can't I need wait to get for this that. dungeon master on my back we do need to do some D.
0: <laughs> okay that's been top three thank you for the question honey cool, that was cool. pretty fun so let's go ahead and check in with the mail there's no mail. Oh man, big surprise! Big surprise. I don't. You know, I'm still hopeful that mail is going to end up becoming robust. If maybe not even on our email address, but you know, the show still isn't kind of launched like we want it to be launched. We're just doing it now to get back into it. And oh, really, it's going to come around the corner. Yeah, we're revving the engines, but but soon enough, we're going to be making a big effort to reach out to people. So if you want your question read on the show now. Um, you can tweet at us, either at our personal accounts. Like I am at Budicious Chase, Hunter is at Diesel Dorset, the show is at Witty Banter Show. You can send an email to us, which is wittybantershow at gmail dot com, or write something on our Facebook wall. Any yeah. place that you can find us, we will be checking that. So Absolutely. we will answer any question you have, or if you want to just leave a comment or a concern, anything you want, we'll we'll work it in here. Absolutely. Now it's time to put a number on the beer hunter.
1: Okay. Cool. I, 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 let me take a little sip, daddy. You went first last little time. little sip,
0: daddy. Yeah, last episode I made you go first, so I'll go first this time. Good, good, good. This beer immediately when I, started, when I took a sniff, I was kind of put off by it. And that's just because mm-hmm. I don't like yeasty beers. And okay. that's my own personal bias. If you like yeasty beers, then maybe this sort of rendition isn't going to really speak to your, your tastes. But for me personally, that was already working against it. Now, what you have here is a beer that I think is floral in the in the nose and almost kind of fruity, but also bready in the nose. Um, but when you taste it, that spiciness of peppercorn I think really comes through. And I think that floral character is there in the taste, but I do think that spiciness sort of takes the spotlight a little too much. So that ends up becoming when you're actually just tasting it, it sticks around in your mouth for a while. I think the aftertaste is just basically like spice and breadiness. Mm -hmm. And it's not two flavors that really sit with me that well.
1: Okay.
0: Um, So while I think this beer might, people who don't, who taste maybe don't line up with mine might really enjoy this beer. For me personally, it's not the best, so I'm gonna give it a six. A six. Okay. Yeah.
1: Wow. All right, that's a fair assessment. Um, I think you know I actually dig this beer a little bit more than you. I think I think that the the spices don't. I don't think that they sort of are at odds with each other as much maybe as you might find. I think that it is light. And while it does stick around in your mouth, you know, for, it has a long sort of, um, what what is that, like taste profile? Yeah. yeah. Um, I do sort of like that it's like this light spice, but it has a little bit of tartness to it. And um, I think it, you know, it just, it, it's easier for me to... Drink than maybe I even was expecting a saison to be sure, and uh, that might just be from my inexperience or whatever. But uh, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna give this, I'm gonna give this a seven point five. Wow, like, yeah, wow, I, wow. Um, <laughs> because I, I, it, it's just easier for me to get into than I thought. I thought it was gonna be sort of like I was either gonna really love it or really hate it. Um, but it's a little bit down the middle of the road in that sense where, um. It is light and it does it's only five point four, right? Percent yeah, alcohol yeah. by volume. Um, so it does have this sort of light light feel to it, but the complexity of the spices and the sour are enjoyable and it makes me you know, it makes me sort of indulge the fact that I'm, you know, enjoying this craft beer. The crafty
0: McCrafterson. Yeah, so
1: seven point five will work for me. Do you have a uh, maybe a situation you might try and put with this, or is it too is six too low for you to put a situation? I on? think
0: this is just a good beer to start with. Maybe if you are like outdoors with some friends at a bar, about to just kind of hang out for the day. But yeah,
1: I could see you too. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that is the Amagong Glass. Yes, sir. All righty. So let's go ahead and wrap the show up. Witty Banter is on iTunes. You can just search for Witty Banter, hit subscribe, and all of our episodes will show up in your download queue for free. We're working on uh, branching out to more podcast services so people who don't use iTunes will have more channels to get the show from. But if you don't use iTunes and you want to download the show directly from us, just go to WittyBanterShow.com, and of course, it will be there for free for all of your enjoyments. Um, give us a like on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash witty banter podcast. And we have a Twitter account. If you want to go ahead and follow it at witty banter show, we're going to begin um, to get very active on Twitter and we're, and we also have an Instagram account, but, um, soon enough, we'll start pushing those a little bit more once they begin uh, to get a little more populated, but, uh, it's going to be fun to have like witty banter kind of out there in more areas. Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting it going. We are. So, Hunter, thanks for coming down and thanks for the episode. I'm Chase, and for Witty Banter, we are out of here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no,
0: no,